0: This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Andy Daly an absolutely brilliant sketch and character comic someone who when I found out he was coming to the Edinburgh Festival this year which of course I am, as I always am uh, I was absolutely thrilled, I couldn't believe it it's like having your favourite band turn up on the lineup to a festival you're already booked at so excited to uh, to talk to him and unusually for this show uh, this episode is being released almost immediately uh, as we're all uh, promoing stuff like a fury up here in Edinburgh so without further ado Uh, let's oh here's a tiny bit of a do I'll tell you what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some of his sketch and character comedy we're going to talk about the comedy bang bang podcast the Andy Daly podcast pilot project uh, which is now now, as we learn sadly uh, on hold Uh, we're going to talk about his show Review with Forrest McNeil which I really recommend we're going to talk about his album Nine Sweaters and uh, and how he got into uh, doing improv and how he worked and indeed taught for the Upright Citizens Brigade UCB in New York and also in LA so all of that to come you will hear me throughout this episode try to chisel the smile off my face so thrilled was i uh, to be talking to someone who's a bit of a hero of mine mr andy daly Oh, so what we're doing here? This show is
1: called the Comedian's Comedian. Yeah, Yeah. I've listened to a bunch of them. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm stoked to hear it. I always, if I'm going to do a podcast, I'll listen to at least one episode. And I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. I only listen to the people that. No, that's not true. I was going to say I only listen to the people that I already know. But I I delved into some British comics that you've interviewed. Okay, who did you listen to? Uh, Pippa Evans. Fantastic! Is she the one that does um, the the character with the last name Maine? Yeah, Loretta something? Maine. Yeah, Loretta Maine. So yeah. I listened to her, and then I listened to a live one you did with another woman who Joe Brand. Joe Brand. Yes, I listened to that, and I listened to Jimmy Carr, who I met one time. I really um, yeah, liked Jimmy, Jimmy Carr, Carr, who in the states yeah. is an alt comic. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah well, I guess that, he kind because, of is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. Over here, he's a sort of... Very mainstream, know, right? Yeah, super yeah.
0: mainstream. Yeah. And uh, in the States, he's this crazy English guy who's got jokes. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 Who has jokes. And they're so fast. Yeah, I met him in Montreal once and he was very nice. And so, mm. so this is your first time at the Edinburgh Festival. Yes,
0: it is. And you said a moment ago your yeah. marketing strategy was to go, you know, and <laughs> yeah, Right, get on board. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, because, I don't know.
0: Because you're... <laughs> Who are you in the states? You're kind of—I mean, you—you you, you can't be a cult comic in the states. You—you've reviews gone to like three, four series. Oh no, we yeah, you we can't be you, a cult comic anymore. You're oh, sure, I am.
1: Comic. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Uh, well, I was as I was—I was, I was going to say like I've listened to enough episodes of your show to know that I'm—I'm I'm a slightly different kind of comic than I think you've interviewed, at least as far as I've heard. In that. Um, solo performance with a microphone on a stage for me is secondary or even tertiary to my career. You know, like I'm a television actor and writer and show creator when it comes to review and this kind of performance, uh, and I'm not constantly generating new material and the material that I do is character based material, which is unusual in, in the States. I think more so than here, I think, uh, uh, so, as far as like, am I a cult comic? Very much so. Uh, as a solo performer on stage, I, I am. Uh, yeah, I'm an unusual. I, I'm not a draw. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, it's sort of unusual. It's unusual for me to tour, and then I'm, I have a very niche audience when okay. I do. Yeah.
0: So why are you... why are you here? Why am I
1: here? Mm, mm. Why am I here? Well. I love Edinburgh. I've always wanted to do the Edinburgh Festival. I've always had a hunch that what I do would go over well in the UK. I've always want, you know, I, I want UK audiences to, to know review and to see review. Uh, so this is sort of to help that. And, you know, I don't know, kind of just for fun and to see what it's all about. You know, I'm not doing the whole run. Ugh. I know. Ugh. Uh, that's it (laughs) I know right people (laughs) hate that Well, but it's not my fault you know what you know what happened I it it was around about April that I realized I had no plans for the summer and that this was finally going to be the year to maybe do the Edinburgh Festival now to me you start planning something in April for August that sounds pretty good (laughs) that sounds like you're really ahead of the game but apparently not that's uh, really late in the game for Edinburgh. So, all that was available to me was this 11 night run. Oh, so it's a, yeah. it was availability
0: in terms of room, not yeah. time.
1: Right, exactly. I, I yeah. assumed that uh, Mr. TV Big Shot
0: Guy no, only find two weeks. Or, or the family man could only convince the family to come.
1: Well, for two weeks. it turns out that ends up being actually quite perfect. But the, sure. the plan was to do the whole run. We're going to do 11 days here in Edinburgh and then do a little tooling around. Scotland. And
0: Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we oh, oh, so no, not performative tootling around. No, right. Family tootling around. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, that
0: seems like a magical way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think we should probably begin with the, the place where you first came to my attention, mm. which is uh, I, I saw your show last night. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I want to talk about that, oh, yeah. and I uh, very much enjoy a review. But you first came to my attention on a YouTube clip that I think is probably the thing that I have most shared with other people. Oh wow! When I get drunk with comedians, and uh-huh. go, oh my god! Have <laughs> you seen? Have you seen Jerry Ahern? Uh-huh. Who is your, I mean, this is how I would describe it to people. I would yeah. say he's a stand-up character. He's a, uh, a stand-up comic character. Mm -hmm. who's a stand-up with no content Yeah, the rhythms and the tropes and the shape as someone who's fascinated with stand-up comedy I just I adore that that character so he talk to us a little bit about him and then we'll talk about Nine Sweaters and how all that came about
1: yeah yeah so this you know I I have I I was in a comedy partnership in New York in the 90s with a guy named Andy Secunda we were the two Andy's and we used to crack each other up all the time on and off stage and We used to do a kind of a bit on the subway where I would just challenge myself to talk for the entire subway ride home from around you know, Union Square, 14th Street, uh, out to uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, just talk as long as I could without ever saying anything. That was the goal. To just go, you know, I mean, at this point it's ridiculous because she's <laughs> sitting here and it's like, this is going on and that's going on, oh, did I tell you what the other one said? Well, you're not going to believe it. Look, to just like throw in as many conversational handles.
0: Okay, not as, not as a comic. Not as just, a comic. Just as-,
1: just as like a person on the subway telling a story about his day, but never getting to it.
0: And you would talk, you'd be
1: saying this to Andy or yeah. to strangers.
0: Yeah, so just drink. to Andy, okay. yeah.
1: And he, his role was usually, he would sit there and go, you're not saying anything, you're not saying anything, you're not saying anything. To try and trip you up. No, just to like, just, that was just his response to play okay. along, you know, that was the straight man response in that moment, to just be like, you're not saying anything. Like, like And just for the other people on the train to have the experience of this, this uh, couple of friends where one of them just talks obsessively and doesn't say anything. And the other one is trying to call it to his attention, but it doesn't work. So this, uh, just to paint the picture,
0: how long is this, right? Is that I've heard of these places? Yeah, it could be them.
1: about 20, 25 minutes. Okay.
0: And people around you on the train are noticing, actively yes, listening. Yes, exactly, yeah. And you are, you're not breaking character. You're not, Never, yeah. You're not laughing. Right, At each other, the game exists solely within the two of you. Yes,
1: and it's a dynamic where the one person is is sort of compulsively, (laughs) obsessively talking without getting to the point, and the other person is trying to snap him out of it. (laughs) That was the gag. And so years later, I was supposed to do a show at like midnight at the UCB Theater in L.A., and it was a kind of an anything goes late night show and i thought why, wouldn't it be funny to go up and do that for as long as i can and and my thought was that it would it would oh, that it would anger the audience you know <laughs> that there would be fury and then the idea of doing him as a stand up comic just came about because that was a stand up show it was a midnight so that gave me a reason to be there and so i went up on stage as a stand up just to try and stay up there for eight minutes and never say anything. And so, and I found kind of that rhythm of just throwing it. Did you see this? You know, all the stuff, you know, and what else is going on? Just comic yeah. tropes and handles and stuff I like mean, that. Halfway I didn't fr- get the memo and all yeah, that. Yeah, stuff, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Halfway
0: yeah. through, you sort of look at the room and you start doing bit yeah. like the comics take on the room. of oh, This looks like someone went, let's try it like this. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, it's just, I was just delirious watching
1: it. Dang. Thank you. Yeah. So, how
0: many times have you have you done that? And because uh, you, you know the video that's online. Yes, it's I very, love it.
1: It's like a shaky cam. I know. Recorded from the audience. I love thing. it. That was at a giant outdoor venue at Jesse Thorne's uh, Maximum Ma- Fun. Yeah, Maximum Max Fun Fun Con. Con. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, that person does not have a great seat, and they didn't even start it from the beginning. And I love I love how gorilla it is. Yeah, it, it yeah.
0: makes it seem more authentic somehow, <laughs> like we're watching a
1: real comedian, which of course we are, because right, we're right, destroying
0: right. in that in that in I would imagine a pretty nerdy audience. Who yes. I I've showed that clip to people who have said. Well, he, doesn't, he doesn't say anything. And you're like, yeah, no, no, no. That's that's the 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 Any comic I've shown it to has right. just gone, oh, oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so is that something you, do you go back to that character ever? Do you? Um...
1: I haven't done him in a while. I'm definitely going to do him here. I think I'm going to do him at the. You've um... to do
0: him on Sunday night at ACMS. What's The that? alternative comedy Yes, that's the plan. Yes, that's the plan. Yes, that's. i I'm, I'm going to be sending some uh, excited texts to fellow oh, good. comedy nerds. Oh, <laughs> right. I will get back to a sensible interview and stop gushing now. But I'm I'm thrilled about that. Uh, yeah. Um, so so the the Nine Sweaters album mm-hmm. came about because you were doing regular Spots. I mean, I I, I have a hazy understanding of Uh it. Why don't you tell me how that actually came about? Well, actually, on the strength of that, I downloaded the album and just fell about.
1: Oh, thank you. Oh, good. Well, that that came about because I was on Mad TV, which is a uh, a sketch show in the States that ran for a long time, and I was on it for a season and a half, and I just kept. Pitching sketches that they weren't putting on just constantly, and at the same time, Matt Besser of the Upright Citizens Brigade had moved from New York out to L.A. and he put up a show like a Thursday night at eleven o'clock show at the um, Improv Olympic or the Iowa West out in L.A. And the lineup on this show it was like it was Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn and uh, God and Matt Besser and myself. And Jerry um, Jerry Minor would come and do sets. And nobody was ever in the audience. It was the strangest thing. I don't know why. People would never come. And it was all of us trying out new stuff every week. And so I just went through my notebook of rejected sketches and turned them all into character monologues. And, and it was so liberating to just be like, I don't need anybody to approve of this. I don't need to get any other actors on board. I just I'm just boiling it down to one character putting all these beats in this guy's mouth and making the audience sort of the straight man sort of the character. Uh, And so I did them at that show and then Scott Ackerman was doing uh, the Comedy Death Ray live show at Ambar and he invited me up and then that just started just in L.A., only in L.A., doing these bits all around town And and then I had the thought to record them on an album and Scott Aukerman had the suggestion why don't I, instead of doing an evening of characters to record, why don't I do, go up once a week at his show at the UCB Theater uh, and just sort of do a residency of, of, I think it was 10 weeks in a row, and record a different bit every night for the album. And that's the way we did it. I'm so glad we did it that way, because I had a week between characters to yes. kind of like hone and work and okay. just just focus on one 10-minute piece.
0: And one of the one of the elements of your those of those particular characters mm. um, is that something I really kind of delight in is there's the surface character mm. and then we gradually it is revealed the sort of the darkness beneath them or their yeah. agenda or I think the one, I mean, another favourite of mine is the, uh, the Blarney champion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so you've got this Irish character who is uh, uh, telling, telling tall tales and explaining he's won the tall tale competition. Yeah. And then throughout, I, I sort of don't want to spoil it, you yeah, know, so yeah. I don't want people to listen to it, but we gradually realise the sort of dark, terrible truth behind all of these yeah. imaginative lies he said. Yeah. It's, it always makes me think of, and um, I think people who are brilliant at doing that, is South Park. When you oh, go, this is what the episode's about. And then right. halfway through, you go, "Oh, this is what it's really about." Right, it's like the, yeah. the turd sandwich and the giant douche, oh. and you've got to vote for one of them. They're all as bad as each other. <laughs> yes, but you have to vote for one of them. Like, and you go, oh, that's so clever." <laughs> so, so talk to me then about about that that process of um, like the, the fact that they rejected sketches is quite interesting. So, mm. so what would be the difference between the Rejected sketch version right. of the Blarney character, and and what ended up on the album.
1: Ah, well, it, it you know it would have been written as a scene, and it would have had other characters, and it would have had a straight man sort of calling out the game of the scene all the time, a, a voice in the room saying, you know, that's well, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't don't tell me that part, you know, or or asking what's the real story. It would have just. It, it works better as a monologue. I, I think it would have slowed things down to to have it function as a scene. It's almost interesting to me to to, to like look at sketches and 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 reconstruct them if you can as monologues because I think those work better. But yeah, for instance, the Danny Mahoney sketch, the Life of the Party guy, that yeah. that was one that was actually written up as a sketch. Um, where you see this horrible character come into a party and interact with the different people and it's totally it's unnecessary just put them on stage and make the audience into put press the audience into that role yes. of being the voice of reason and
0: it ends up with the as a sketch it becomes very lean because you mm. don't the audience it's assumed that the audience is saying but that's terrible Right. and like you don't need another person <laughs> yeah, you, you don't can just need stand it. there and do punchlines yeah right
1: exactly it's obvious. And not i don't mean just punchlines like and yeah. joke jokes but like yeah. character Driven punch. Right, right. Yeah, and the, the, the Blarney sketch came from... I was listening to uh, NPR one night, and they were... <laughs> what did they do? They went live to a bar in Limerick, Ireland, where someone had won a Blarney contest, and they were interviewing... No, guy. that's yeah. not a real it thing! It was a real thing! It was a liar's contest, a Blarney contest, and they interviewed... this, And he... In a crowded pub, and he was drunk... And it was a, a bizarre interview, but it did seem to me like that's, that's a bit of a thing. Like I have an old Irish relative who described his day. He said, I go down to the pub, I'll have a few drinks, i tell a few lies. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a real thing. People do that. They lie. And, and then to think like, well, there's a darker side of that, you know. It's sure. fun to explore that. So anyway, yeah, that's-
0: so so when you were, I mean, it, it sounds like this: the Project Nine sweaters was kind of a side project, or maybe your your comedy output. You described yeah. as maybe tertiary mm-hmm. to your actual career. So does that free you up to just kind of play a little bit more, rather than if you were someone who I imagine? I mean, I know it's hard to make a living as a comic in the US. I would imagine yeah. making a living as a character comic. I mean, is anyone else? As yeah. a secondary question, is anyone else doing? what you do because it seems like like I know I know other character comics but they seem to fix on one character and then hone that and make that kind of
1: yeah successful it's unusual whereas you're
0: more like kind of here's an idea I'll do that smash well I'll put that down I'll do another one
1: right right yeah it is a little unusual I mean there are other God knows there's plenty of sketch comedy actors in New York and LA who are doing what I do like take their sketch comedy character and do it as a bit you know, just in front of the audience, all by themselves. Like that's not that unusual, but, but yeah, I can't think of anybody who's really trying to kind of make a living at that kind of thing. I think that's pretty unusual. I mean, you know, Larry the Cable Guy is a character, yeah, right? So, yeah. so he did that. Dice Man is a character. It's not. It's not that it doesn't ever get done. That's a relief to hear. Yeah, well, is it? I, I, I maybe it isn't. <laughs> it's a semi. It's semi autobiographical. Um, eh, yeah, no, I can't think of, uh, yeah, what it would be like to try and make a living doing this. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't know how I would, uh, but yeah, but what it does mean is that, um, I just, I just try to satisfy myself doing these bits, you know? So when you
0: talk about the audience, and, and you mentioned earlier on the idea of doing the the, the person who never gets
1: around to saying anything, yeah. that it
0: might infuriate the audience.
1: Yeah. And that idea seems to appeal to you. Yes, for sure. I, well, Andy Kaufman is you know an early hero of mine. I, I read about him when I was a teenager and tracked down everything that I could find, his Carnegie Hall show, his HBO special, everything that I could possibly find about Andy Kaufman and... And then so the first time I ever performed solo on stage, I opened for an acapella group in my college pub. And I did a bit. It was the first bit I ever did where I said to the audience, like, do you like impressions? And of course, yeah. yeah. Well, here's my impression of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then I did whatever was Obi-Wan Kenobi's first line in Star Wars, which is something like, you know, the sand people are easily frightened, but they'll be back, and in greater numbers. And, you know, so whatever, okay, a, a pretty good impression. It's, not, it's certainly, it's not flawless, but it's okay. And then I did his second line, whatever his second line was from Star Wars, and then the third, and then I just did every line of dialogue <laughs> of Alec Guinness's from all three movies. In order, exactly. (laughs) And the idea there, it's just... It thrills me to think, like, okay... we sort of enjoyed that first line that was it, okay, whatever, yeah, move on, not so great, and then to hear the second one, okay, and then around the third or fourth, I think people get maybe get the premise, oh, this is going to keep going, and it's funny for a little while, and then it ceases to be funny entirely because it's really this is really happening, and then the next wave, if you can get it of of more of laughs now. That's, that to me is a very magical laugh. After you've alienated the audience with something that is, that seems anti-comedy, then you bring them around to laughing again because of how, um, how anti-comedy it is, how confrontational and how off-putting it is. Once that becomes amusing, that's a kind of a magical moment.
0: And that was something that you did in your, how old were you when you did that first performance?
1: I was probably 19 or 20. I think
0: Cause that, so. I mean, you, did you have a sense that there would, it, there would be that wave of it's not funny and then it's funny again? Cause that's quite an advanced or that's a risky strategy, certainly. Yes. And it's quite a sophisticated. Thing to know of one's audience.
1: It's well, well, I had read about Andy Kaufman that he did a bit where he just went up on stage and read The Great Gatsby. Uh, and, and I, at least in my memory of it, uh, he just read that book until he was forcibly removed from the stage. <laughs> that was the joke. And I think I must have read, or maybe just imagined, that, that, that it would have taken... Because I've seen a clip of that, and the premise that he's just going to stand up there and read this book... Uh, and we have a lot to get through, and it's a long book, and we'll be here for a long time, uh, gets laughs from the audience. And, and they think, well, that can't be, like, that's a funny comedy premise, and here we go, and what's he going to do with it? Oh, he's really just going to read. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think I, I wanted to play with that and see okay. what would happen.
0: So this is Andy, and uh, as you can hear, uh, I'm an enormous fanboy, so I'll try to keep this brief and get straight back onto the interview. Um, uh, What do I need to tell you now? A couple of things. um, Andy's show, if you are here at the Edinburgh Festival, don't miss. He's only here for a couple of weeks, as you'll hear. So don't miss his show at the Gilded Balloon Nightly at 8.30. Do get along and see that. Do look up Gerry Ahern. Just do yourself a favour and download a copy of Nine Sweaters. I love every track on that album. It's one of the funniest pieces of comedy um, that I've come across. So please do download that and listen to that. Um, More from Andy in a second. Um, I've got two little blurbs, uh, two little things to, to mention. Little blurbs. Who calls them blurbs? Me. Um... Oh, and I must as well remember to tell you that this was recorded at The Place Hotel, a fabulous boutique hotel on York Place in Edinburgh. They're kind enough to occasionally let me record podcast episodes there, uh, and I'm very pleased to give them a a little shout out. It's awfully nice. This is the the hotel where I interviewed Bill Burr and Carmen Lynch and a few others beside uh, last year. If you're a high roller and uh, you have slightly more budget lying around than I do, um, then you should definitely check out The Place Hotel in Edinburgh. Now, um, I'm just going to tell you very quickly, my own show starts tomorrow, so I'm going to throw myself in- into prep for that. 3.45pm uh, in the Liquid Room's Annex. It is, of course, free. You must, of course, bring some money with you, just on the off chance you feel like paying. Thank you to everyone that has been posting their, their Thanks Man t-shirts. Uh, thank you, I didn't, even- I forgot to ask you to do this, um, but a lot of you have chipped in and done it anyway on uh, on the Twitter feed at comcom pod or indeed at the uh, the facebook uh, private group the comedians comedian podcast facebook group and so many of you have uh, sent me pictures of yourselves and I really appreciate it i 'm so glad that, uh, that you 've enjoyed the t shirts We will do another i don 't know quite what to do i don 't know if it makes sense time wise like sort of um uh, Efficiency-wise, for there to be just the rolling option to buy them all the time. So what I may do in September is we'll do this design again, and uh, I'll do a, a post-sale if you like um, a couple of quid more per shirt, just because the people who got in there quick deserve to have a little treat. And um, and we'll do uh, another month where you can put your orders in. I'll print them. I'll have another big day of sending them out, and then that design uh, will be put to bed. So if you'd like one, listen out in September, and I'll try and make everyone aware of those. Um, and if you'd care to donate. To the show, you can do so at uh, comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. You can do that in all sorts of ways. I know you know that you can uh, set up a recurring PayPal payment if you like. Uh, You can uh, do that via Moonclerk for a little subscription as well if you're not a PayPal fan. All of that stuff available at comedianscomedian.com Forward slash donate, uh, and of course you can do the occasional one-off payments, or like a lovely lady in a cafe in Edinburgh—not a cafe, as sort of a, a convenience shop in Edinburgh—and um, you can see me standing in the queue behind you, wearing my own merch, no less. <laughs> I have my own. It was laundry day. Laundry day, you're allowed to wear your own merch. Um, and this very lovely lady turned around and uh, saw that I was queuing to buy a little pot of couscous, and she said, "Oh, I'll get that for you. It's the least I can do." Now. I'm enormously pleased to have had £2.99 worth of Kuz donated, but it did occur to me shortly afterwards, I probably should have said no 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 that's fine <laughs> but instead I was like yeah you can buy my couscous why not um, so uh, if you fancy uh, buying me the equivalent of three six or even 18 pots of couscous you could do that at forward slash donate and um, that's everything on that I've got a tiny post for you coming up after the show but don't miss uh, Andy Daly's show if you are up here at Edinburgh um, or if you catch him tootling around the Highlands I'm sure he'd be pleased for you to uh, nod in an appreciative way whilst maintaining a risk Respectful distance from him and his family. Let's get back to Andy.
1: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.
0: So have you, and I I think when I've heard certain of the sketches from uh, Nine Sweaters, I don't really recall which ones, I don't remember that all of them took the roof off. I remember that sometimes there are dissenting
1: voices in the audience. Oh, what do you mean, took the roof off?
0: Well, no, I mean, so, uh, like, uh, some of them yes. were spectacular and everyone's laughing. Oh, yeah. Some of them, I feel like, I, I've not heard it for a little while, but I hmm. feel like there were some hecklers or some people going, what, what is going on? Um, people who didn't get it? Or was it a sufficiently switched on crowd that everyone... Got it.
1: I think it was usually. I, I think they usually got it because it was always at the UCB theater. It was always at the Comedy Death Ray show. Uh, the audience generally already knew me once I came on stage, uh, so I don't. I don't remember moments like that, except maybe in the Danny Mahoney bit because he is so. I think that's the one I'm yeah, thinking of. He's he is, such an aggressive, yeah. dickhead. Yeah, who is?
0: Who is? And the joke of
1: him is that he's.
0: He's offering a service. I think that's it. Or yeah. maybe it's not even... Maybe it's maybe it's a YouTube video of you doing that character elsewhere. Oh, yes. That's, that's what, that's I'm what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're yeah. getting heckled, but someone walks out, and you get yes. about it, and then someone else tries to defend them. Because yes. Because I don't think you've got round to the joke yet, where you're right. revealing to the audience like that you're on the inside of knowing
1: this guy's a terrible person. Yes. Well, that was a fascinating night, and that's why I put it up on YouTube, because... I was asked to headline the Melrose Improv, which I was like, I don't know if my stuff's going to go over it. Because that's a mainstream audience, right? Okay. You know, they're giving away two-for-one tickets at Hollywood and Highland for that show. Like, that's a mainstream... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you won't get that reference. That's like the... the it's like... It's become Los Angeles' Times Square, in a sense. Gotcha. You know, Hollywood and Highland, and they're handing out the tickets. Okay. Anyway, so it's a mainstream audience that I was not sure was going to get or appreciate my character bits. Uh, and and it didn't go over great. I think I did four shows, and so the last show, Saturday night, the late show, the audience was a little bit drunk, and something weird happened. Like, that character was like the fourth character I had done in the night, but the audience completely related to him as a character. I think it was the drunkenness, and I think it was because ear- another comic had gone on earlier in the night who the audience didn't like, and they heckled that comic and then somebody left and, and so it just things devolved and it was perfect for that character to get nasty with this audience that he was starting to lose control of uh, but what was amusing to me is that the, the sense that they knew that I am a comic playing a character but they as an audience seemed to forget it
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really surprised to hear that you had been on in characters because yes. if you watch that clip mm-hmm. it really seems like that is a completely fresh audience who just haven't, or certain of them, haven't twigged. Yeah. It's staggering. It's
1: really strange. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And, and completely leaving the script of what I was prepared to do and just messing around with this audience and insulting some of them and upsetting some of them. It's fascinating. They know. It's, but in some ways, it doesn't matter. I remember once doing that character. I think it was also at the Improv. And there was, a, there was an elderly gentleman sitting up close to the stage. And the character of Danny Mahoney just started making fun of him for being old. <laughs> and the guy looked upset. And in my mind at the time, I'm thinking to myself, that's funny that he's actually getting his feelings hurt and his feathers ruffled by a character who he's got to know as a character, right? But then later thinking about it, I was like, well, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's,
0: do you feel kind of licensed to say the unsayable in your characters because we're part of a shared... More so than just a stand-up... You know, there's this idea that Stuart Lee, you know, the sacred circle of, like, Mm. we're all in on the joke. I'm a stand-up comedian. You're even more so... Yes. ...kind of apparent. The joke is even more apparent and therefore perhaps the, the sacred circle... Is, is more apparent, is more trust, because we know you yeah. don't mean
1: it. I think so. I think, uh, you know, for instance, probably in the show that I'm doing right now, Dalton Wilcox. I just, I can't believe how pretentious I sound to talk about the Sacred Circle. I'm quoting directly <laughs>
0: from Stuart Lee. Sorry, do continue.
1: <laughs> I, I, listen, I'm, I'm eating it up. Um, but Dalton Wilcox is probably the character that I do who is most kind of obnoxious to the audience. Um he's he's an asshole, not as bad as Danny Mahoney, but he's he's an asshole. This is the Cowboy Poet, Yes, the Cowboy Poet the yeah. and Vampire Slayer <laughs> <laughs> character <laughs> who I do in the show. Um and and I think so a lot of the things that he says to the audience, if I were to say them in my own voice, I would feel a need to then in some form say just kidding. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I I, I would just feel that need to... Get, oh, you know, it's just sort of to say something awful and judgmental and rude and then to come back and say, no, I don't really feel that way. Would feel necessary if I were performing as myself. Not necessary as Dalton Wilcox because we, you know, we, you know, we know he's not real. Yes. Yeah.
0: So the... When you so you did three characters last night. Mm-hmm. Is this, your run here is the same three characters every night?
1: I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I'm prepared to swap if need be. But I'm, okay. Yeah. The, the second character yeah. whose name escapes me, Don Demello. Don
0: Demello, yeah. who is a if
1: you describe Don to us. Don Demello is a theatrical director. He is uh, uh, the director of the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular, which is a, uh, a, a uh, annual institution in New York. It is a Christmas show that involves the Rockettes. I don't know. I actually have no idea how familiar people in the UK are with the Rockets.
0: So I didn't know no. whether they're a real thing or whether the thing. Oh, is right really? Isn't yeah, that yeah, interesting? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that might explain some of, of last night's
1: reaction. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, need to explain culturally that better. speaking, I, I wasn't, I didn't know whether uh, that was a real thing or whether that you had contrived it for the sake of the character. Isn't
1: that something? Yeah. Because the reality is that, that it's a children's Christmas show. Uh, at Radio City Music Hall Which is a, a classic venue That has this very peculiar Holdover from the Ziegfeld Follies Days of it's like Can-can dancers Th- These rockette dancers come out And they're squeaky clean all American But they are of uniform height And big smiles And bare legs doing big high kicks In the middle of this Santa Claus and Alive Nativity scene Children's show And it's, it's odd I, that to me really explains a lot more about the character. I'm not sure as an
0: audience mm-hmm. we got last night because right. I, I wondered how you felt that character went last night. It was, it yeah. was really fun and very funny, uh-huh. but there was a sort of a, I wondered if, do you know what I thought? I don't want to talk out of turn here, no. but I wondered if the women stopped laughing during that.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Huh?
0: Because Dalton Wilcox had just destroyed mm. everything you said was funny. I mm. brought three friends with me, and I was sat there very happily going, yep, this is in the bag. You <laughs> know what I mean? That, that,
1: that kind of <laughs> of that was, right, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And
0: then I wondered if, mm-hmm. because we're not aware of the rockets and that back obviously, to me now, it's like, oh, the joke is, yeah. he's the seedy guy who's put together this ludicrous kind of anachronistic yes sexy lineup during a kids Christmas show right I didn't know we don't know what that is I didn't know that that was going on so to me he was just a sort of a seedy disgusting character right 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 and I wondered whether whether some of the women stopped laughing because you were being very you know I mean all the stuff now that is kind of like you know there's a little something for daddy yeah All all that stuff Knowing that it's a kids' show, yeah, and that that's what you're underlining, that throws a whole different light on it. For Isn't that me. interesting? That kind of takes the curse off. It's uh, yes.
1: like, yes. No, it was really, it was interesting to do that last night because that 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 character is so disgusting. Uh, and when I, so he came about uh, on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. And became a very popular character. The first time I ever did him was Scott's Christmas show. And so I thought, like, let's meet the guy behind the Rockettes. (laughs) The Christmas show. And people really liked him. And then he was on again with Patton Oswalt. And Scott and Patton asked him great questions. And we really delved into who this disgusting guy is. And he's just become an extremely popular character through the, the podcast. And I often think, like, he is so disgusting. I'm surprised he's so popular. But it's... You've got to get the right balance of like we are gleefully hearing from the bottom of the sewer. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there's, there's a gleefulness to it. There's Something fun about hearing something so disgusting. But it, it was a little – it was missing last night I felt. Yeah, you know, interesting. The, the, the glee of it and the audience was just like, Jesus, this guy is – fucking disgusting mm, yes, it yeah, was a it bit disturbing right and I, I have this purely physiological response that like I, I'm doing something and then I realize that I've broken into a sweat and that's <laughs> when I go oh it's not going well is that right did you get the sweat last time? I did night? I did that's Interesting. I got the oh sweat midway through that character I was like oh and that tells me like uh, that tells me it's not going well it's a very strange that reverse is, uh, response that
0: is a skill to have cultivated <laughs> it's like where are you where are we sweating you just yes. touched your face there is your, like, no wet, it threw my shirt through your shirt okay you're like hat. I'm aware of a wet bag yeah yeah I gotta get out of here <laughs> I gotta get out of here <laughs> we, we should say as well just to people who've not seen the show the format of the show is these three mm-hmm. characters and uh, the third one I, you know we'll, if we talk about it we'll talk about it I don't want yes. to everything away because I'm going to put this out soon I hope oh, yeah, yeah, sent yeah. A few people along um, but uh uh, the, each character comes out, does a monologue five to ten minutes, and then just takes questions from the audience. Right. And one of the things that was so... such a pleasure to watch in the show last night was how unshowy your improvisation is. Mm. Because there's, there's a lot of improv shows, there's a lot of kind of, you know, handshakey. hey, give us a suggestion, guys. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff, and necessarily, mm-hmm. of course, it's part of the culture of it. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, just, there was something so... Uh, calmly confident. Like, you, you're obviously mm. on top of your game as an improviser. Mm. And so whenever anyone said anything to you, you just got gold out of everything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And there was no... Because I suppose because of the format, there's no... Um, there's no uh, you don't need to tell us at any point, hey, I'm going to make a load of stuff up. Oh, Do, you know right. I mean? no, uh, Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have that showy quality. Ah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So
0: I suppose what I'm asking is there will be improvisers listening to this I'm sure I hope Mm -hmm. Um, how do you get to that level of confidence in your improv is it just practice are there principles with that question and answer game are there principles you're working too are there ways that you know
1: you can get out of things Um, no there's no ways that I know I can get out of things I don't think I mean I've done this show a few times so there are some things that that uh, I know have worked in the past that I can come back around to. Because you
0: might get the same questions.
1: Yeah, I might get the same questions. Sure. Uh, I can't think offhand if that happened last night, but there's there's maybe... There was a couple... I think someone asked you a
0: question in a very thick Scots accent. Yeah. Like
1: boring holes in the ground. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I
0: guess is because he's seen... Right. ...that character before and that leads to a particular joke in that character. Yes, Which right. was almost... As an audience member, I was like, "Oh, don't set him up." Yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, don't challenge him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> challenge him. Don't go and now. Perhaps you'd like to do that joke. You know? no, with, all res- with all respect to that
1: question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, there'll be a mix of things, but that, yeah, that that happened there, but. I'm trying to think well like for instance Don Demello has has spoken in the past about his uh, doomed Peter Pan production and uh, and probably will again. Uh, so that I knew I could get to um, but no is there an, I mean definitely being for me being in character allows me to feel more confident because I have a more uh, I have a pretty clear sense of who these people are and what they think and how they feel about things. Um, so when I hear a question, I think I know right away how this guy would answer it. And then, yeah, for me, it's just a matter of, uh, let's get to some laugh and move on to the next question. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's, 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 it's staying true to the character and the the various games of the character, what this guy is about. Uh, t-
0: Talk to me about that, mm-hmm. the games of the character. What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, well, that is um, anybody who's ever studied with the Upright Citizens Brigade or read their book will probably already knows where I'm going. <laughs> but that's the sort of, sort of central tenet of that school of improvisation. Um what you learn when you're first learning to do improv scenes with the Upright Citizens Brigade is that you can start a scene, two people, with nothing, just a location or an attitude or anything, and you're working together to find the game of the scene, which means, like, an example that I used to give when I used to teach improv there was, like, uh, the Monty Python scene where the guy is returning the dead parrot, right? The game of that scene is... That the, the guy who owns the pet shop will do anything to not take back the parrot. So that's the game of that scene. Okay. And if you can imagine that as an improv scene, they might have stumbled upon it with, I'd like to return this parrot. Why? Well, he's dead. And then, and then we, we, so now we're laughing, but we know the game of the scene when the next guy goes, no, he isn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now we know the game of the scene and we know what we're doing and we're off and running. And you just play that out. Um, so the characters have have games in a way. So Dalton Wilcox's games, various, are, you know, that he, he is a belligerent uh, a Western man who despises city slickers and has a very particular notion of what it means to be a man from the American West. Uh, and also that he has these delusions about monsters, you know, and also that he's, he has this sense of what it is to be a cowboy poet that is very particular to him and his weird peccadillos. <laughs> you know what I mean? So once I know, like, that's those are the things that define him, any answer to an audience question can come from those basic aspects of his personality. Okay, you know I mean?
0: okay. Can I just ask, I mean, I'm, mm. it's L. Ron Hubbard is the third character. Yes. I have to say that because I have to ask mm-hmm. whether someone asked you what you had for breakfast. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and you said, those little black pigs. <laughs> yeah. And Christ, I was crying. Was that improvised? or Was yeah. that yeah, sure, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean I love like that makes so much sense. So tell me how that fits into the game of L. Ron Hubbard. Where does that where does that come from? That was such a perfect answer.
1: Oh, thanks. Well that you know, I, I have read a lot about Elron. Hubbard. I'm very fascinated with L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, I know a lot about him. And and so I know that for him. Um, uppers and various kinds of pills were were a big deal in his life. I see. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, particularly during his weird years on the boat, which is when my Elron comes from. He comes straight off the, straight, straight off the Royal Scotman. Uh, <laughs> that was a period of time when he was doing a lot of pills, uh, just to keep going and keep writing and to keep working and keep... Because it must have been a very stressful life for him because he's surrounded by these people who are looking at him like, well, what next? Yeah. <laughs> and he's stuck out at sea.
0: You know, I don't know so much about his life. I didn't yeah. know there was, there was a boat period. But that's a really interesting perspective on him to think once you've uh, overpromised in every result, yes. in every uh, way,
1: yeah, then
0: uh, people are going to go, what next?
1: Yeah. I mean, th- this is crazy, but it literally came to a point where because he was so invested in the notion of past lives uh, that he convinced all of his followers. I think it was they had three boats they had a little armada floating around that he in past lives had buried treasure and that their job was to go find it.
0: <laughs> that's, that's crazy.
1: It was just like we got to kill time out here. We're going to go find some of this buried treasure. And time and again, it would be like, oh, somebody got to it. You know, of course oh, they're Lord. not finding any So is treasure.
0: that is that the only character that you do who is a real person? I think so. Yes, I think so. So that's the only research job.
1: Yes, right, exactly. So yeah. the others, you
0: can decide, okay, the game of Dalton is, you know, monsters and what have you. And yeah. so, so that kind of that reveal about Dalton that actually he's terrified of... Uh, Uh,
1: Thera... Therianthropes.
0: Therianthropes. Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds real enough that that could be the real word. Oh, yeah, it is. It is, That's the the shapeshifter. Therianthropes are are real. Oh, yeah, they're a subset. Yeah, they're a subset
1: of shapeshifters.
0: Um, So did that originate, like the very beginnings of that character? Mm -hmm. You had a hat and you went, okay, I'll do a cowboy poet. Like, how much are you walking on with and how much is created in the moment?
1: Yeah, so that was another one of the characters. So uh, all the characters on my album came about from, you know, either there were failed sketches or after that point, they were, they were, they they were born as bits to do on stage in front of an audience. The characters that I've been doing over the last few years are all, have all been born on podcasts. Like I've come on as a podcast guest in character, Um, which means that I come in with, with quite a bit less and more is found through conversation and improvisation. Um, but the Dalton Wilcox character, I saw – I took my children to an equestrian show in Burbank, California, and in between horse acts, a, a cowboy comic came up, and he did a bit – it was like a – I don't know if you know Goofus and Gallant. Probably don't I don't thought- Goofus and Gallant was like, uh, I think it was in High Times Magazine, which is a magazine for kids, and it was like a little comic strip of like a guy who does everything right and a guy who does everything wrong. And it was meant to be instructive. Like, Goofus, you know, Gallant brushes his teeth in the morning. Goofus eats a whole a sugar donut, whatever. Okay. So he did a bit that was like that about the guy at the front of the cow herd and the guy at the back of the <laughs> cow herd. And it, was like, it was so specifically cowboy comedy that I was like, I have to do something with that and so I looked up this guy his name was Baxter Black and he's a cowboy poet and I'd never heard of cowboy poetry before and he's very much into the wit and witticisms of the west and so I went on as him and I wrote some, I knew I had to show up with some cowboy poems if I'm going to do a cowboy poet on a podcast and, and wrote them in the initial ones in, in like 10 minutes of just like, well, so what's, what's funny? What's wrong? What's crazy about his poems? And the first one was about, about fucking holes in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the second one was just about vampires and just the notion that this guy might believe in and be fr- afraid of vampires just seemed funny to me
0: so there and that's kind of like a, the kind of Michelangelo you know the, the sculpture is already in the block of marble
1: uh-huh. idea. do
0: you know what I mean you're like <laughs> okay yeah of course <laughs> right? of course <laughs> he's terrified of vampires do you know what I mean so you discover yeah. what there is you discover the games of, of that character as you can.
1: yeah it came about very quickly it was very important. the f- first idea you know what I mean not, not, not the second or third idea what's the first idea that's well that's interesting you put it in those terms because something mm-hmm. comics often say on this show is about when you're
0: writing comedy when yeah. you're scripting stand-up or whatever it's about the third idea right yeah. so that's interesting that as an improviser you go nope first idea whatever yeah. whatever we have we go for
1: yeah and yeah that
0: sounds a lot easier than <laughs> <writing> your brains. <laughs> I'm always whenever I speak to improvisers I'm always jealous because I was like you have no homework
1: ever you right. get to go up and just play it well I know I once want in the early days in New York doing improv we used to sit around I mean it seems so crazy now but we used to sit around this bar called McManus and talk improv and talk comedy and sometimes there would be like a an impressive person in the in the crowd you'd maybe try to get a seat at that table and maybe move <laughs> a little closer and i remember one night adam mckay was there and i ended up sitting at adam mckay's table and he was talking about I'm this i afraid as a brit i don't know who adam you is. don't know who adam mckay is no, oh trying. wow no that's amazing he uh so he he is will ferrell's partner in crime and so uh, he directed the big short, maybe wrote it too, gotcha. um, and directed the Anchorman movies and Talladega Nights and all that stuff. I but. absolutely should have known. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's I, right. I couched this in as a Brit, ah. you know I mean? as, a,
0: <laughs> as a guy with a baby or something, as a right, guy who doesn't watch enough stuff. Okay.
1: But at that time, he had, he had revolutionized the Second City uh, show in Chicago in the early 90s and then went on to be Saturday Night Live head writer for a while. And so he was doing that at this time. Uh, And he was talking about the third idea notion, but he was talking about it from an improv point of view and talking about getting to the point as an improviser where you are instantaneously arriving at the third idea gotcha you're not even uh, um, acknowledging and discarding ideas one and two you're, you've trained yourself to go straight to three yes <laughs> so i don't know to what extent and which is obviously do, do you know when you're doing it i don't know sure but b- b- just like your imagination becomes naturally richer or you you
0: you your first thought isn't Who's that at the door? It's the baker. Yes. The first thought is who's that at the door? It's Werner Herzog. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, it's like right, something exactly. like your exactly. ideas are naturally more specific. Yes. Yes. So it, I, I listened only yesterday to some of the uh, the Andy Daly podcast So oh. I'm very pleased to have only just discover. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that an ongoing? No. that no?
1: Okay. That, uh, I set out to do a limited series podcast and so we okay. did eight episodes and I am constantly asked if there will be more. It would oh. be fun to do more. It would be fun to do more. Mm. Listening to
0: you dis- as August Lindt. Oh, yeah, <laughs> discussing with Paul as Tompkins. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Who was Geiger? Who was playing HR? Oh Karger. man, that's uh, why am I? Oh no, why am about Matt Gorley. Yeah, okay. Matt Gorley is so funny. Listening to the three of you discuss yeah. the
0: moment in Grizzly Man oh, where Timothy, where Herzog is listening to. I mean, I don't want to spoil the movie, but yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. an unpleasant thing that Werner is listening to, yeah. and you, <laughs> <laughs> just the amount of. I mean, that is just an exemplary piece of improvised.
1: Comedy. Everyone
0: is contributing so beautifully.
1: Yeah, yeah. And And that's Matt Besser as Pope Benedict as well. Yes, of course. Yes. And
0: everyone is having third thought Mm -hmm. type thoughts, whereby you know what is that? What were his last words that he was? Why didn't he want to play us the last words that he was screaming? Right. Uh, Did he use the N word? (laughs) You know. Well, of course. Why would you not in that situation? (laughs) And it just seems to me to be four people as just at the height of their powers as, as improvising I mean these, what an incredible thing to listen to I've listened to it then I immediately got everyone else in my house and oh, the wow. I was like listen to this now oh, yeah. so uh, let, again I was turned down the gushing gotta turn that into a question gotta uh-huh. got to, got to, got to find some way to, to extract some uh, oh, useful like information from that the, the idea of the of gradually getting to the getting to the, the third idea and gradually mm. improving like what is there anything you could say to, uh, the Andy Daly of 20 years ago, still learning to improvise? What shortcuts, and I mean, in a very personal, a very specific way, what things could, could you 20 years ago have improved on that it took you this time to learn? Oh, um, good question,
1: right? It is a good yeah. question. Because in some <laughs> ways, I feel like I, I don't know. I may have, I may have been more on my game 20 years ago in some ways, except that. Um, what wh- I was probably not calm enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I think. Um, I think I used to think that it was all about um, that h- having fast, good, funny thoughts uh, was an energy game. <laughs> you know, and that it required just an enormous amount of every, every reserve of adrenaline that your body could pump out. Uh, and I, it's not at all. You know, there, there can be, there can be a quiet and a calm. And I would see other improvisers, more seasoned improvisers who seem to be just confidently taking their time and knowing it was going to come and just thinking like, well, that's, I don't know how you do that, but I, I feel like over time, uh, that's, I'm more and I, I, I'm not, I, don't know. I'm I'm more trying for that. <laughs> you know. I'm oh, more, you're
0: being you very modest know. now about your abilities. That you look like you were. You look like then you were trying not to say. And I've really nailed that
1: now. No, I, I, oh, because I truly haven't. I mean, like, I, so I do um, occasionally an improv show with people that I've been improvising with since the mid '90s. We sometimes in LA get together and do an improv show, and and it's it teeters on the brink of. Uh, too unenergetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so. A bunch of very experienced yeah. people calmly
0: not. advising yeah. much. <laughs> yeah.
1: But we're a little too confident that we'll get there eventually. Um, yeah. So, so what I mean is that I, I, I'm more in that world of like, uh, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a conversation and we're gonna get to something funny, uh, as opposed to I'm gonna bounce off all of the walls um but it's, you know it's not a 100% success rate <laughs> sometimes it's just a sleepy show <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about review
0: yeah Of which the premise. Now, I discovered uh, whilst Wikipedia researching you that the premise of review is based Mm. on an Australian show, Mm -hmm. based on an existing show. So tell us about the premise and tell us about the difference between those two shows.
1: Yeah, so it came to me by way of uh, DVDs on my porch one day that my agent had sent me because I guess Comedy Central had, had, Comedy Central in the the States uh, had learned of this Australian series that they thought I would be good to adapt and star in. And it is a show about a guy who's um, he's sort of a sociologist in a way, but also a reality television star. Uh, he's a very serious-minded sort of public intellectual who is reviewing life experiences. He's, he's a critic. Uh, and so the audience will ask him anything. What's it like to get addicted to drugs? What's it like to have road rage or whatever? And so... He will just fully immerse himself in the experience of that from the point of view of a sort of a scientific observer, almost like a a visitor from another planet, someone who has never had any of these experiences. Uh, And what was funny to me watching the Australian version, it could just be, and it often is in their version, just sort of one-off segments, you know. But in their second episode, he reviews what's it like to divorce your wife. And there's a moment in the custody hearing where the opposing side uh, says, well, just look at what this man has done in the last 30 days. He has trained with Al Qaeda. <laughs> he has become addicted to ice. He's gone whale hunting in protected waters. And, you know, as an audience member, as you're watching this, these are things he's reviewed as a life critic. And and it is preventing him from having shared custody of his son. So that to me was really the heart of the show and when we were going to adapt it for an American audience I along with Jeffrey Blitz, who's my uh, co showrunner on it, said, That's what, that's what I, we really want to do. I'm not interested in doing the one off segments so much. I want to really explore the extent to which a guy who fully immerses in experiences brings these extreme experiences that people want to know about into his life, what the impact is on his existing life and how it destroys his life to by, do that. By the beginning of season three, yeah. the
0: state that, uh, that Forrest is in and that his producer is in and seeing Forrest go back to his (laughs) former family home in order to borrow a dog like to go and put to to sleep sleep. like the idea that the first dog he would think of is oh it's gonna I mean I it's gonna have to be my dog (laughs) (laughs) it's a wonderful it has a certain it has a certain kind of Simpsons quality and I mean that in the very best way the sort of um the 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 mundanity of of daily life and uh-huh. the fact that he is he is living a very real life right whilst kind of you know he's falling apart whilst oh. and we should say as well that the show at the end of each section he reviews the experience out of five. And I yes. think that's I mean, to me. That's such a glorious joke. Yeah. something could be summed up right. out of five. Yeah.
1: And so obviously that was part of the Australian series, and it was just something that we knew we had to do. And in the writer's room, we didn't even think much about it. Like, we never really, really considered too closely what... Whether he was going to give it anywhere between one and five stars, and that just seemed like whatever. It just has to happen. It's a convention of the show. But the first time that I played an episode of that show uh, live in front of an audience, I brought it to the UCB Theater and showed it to you know an audience of a hundred people. The the fact that uh, he goes through all of this and then comes back to the studio and says two stars, I yes. <laughs> got a huge right. laugh, an unexpected laugh for me. I was like, oh okay. yeah, that's funny. Yes, <laughs> it, it is funny that he thinks he can reduce. A very complex life experience that <laughs> impacted himself and his family and the world around him in major ways, down to somewhere between one and five stars, is absurd and funny. So, where is the show now? What is it? Is it? It's over. It's over. Yeah, it's all done. Okay. We did... Our first season was very critically acclaimed and quite low-rated and fairly expensive to make (laughs) by the standards of... uh, The big three. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But because it was so critically acclaimed, Comedy Central gave us another season, which was very nice of them. And uh, that season was... Uh, not more expensive. <laughs> uh, but it was more critically acclaimed and less viewed, I believe. So that put them in a tough spot, but they okay. gave us uh a a chance to wrap it up with a third seasonette, I would call it. Okay. So, so we did that and we we ran with it and they gave us zero notes, no feedback. They just said do what here's a pile of money, wrap it up. And oh. I love what we were able to do with that here's a
0: pile of money and no notes yeah what's the uh, what's the next project and will you be in that situation again of here's a pile of money and no feedback
1: I doubt it I mean, (laughs) that that's the mecca of you know yeah that was amazing Uh, no I don't know I have three different shows that I'm trying to get Kind of off the ground right now. Can you but, tell us anything about that? Well, one of them is a, is an animated uh, show all about Dalton Wilcox, which I would love to do. I think you know, I've written it. I have no idea if people would be interested, but I'm. I'm out why, there. why is it animated? Oh, that's a good question. Why is it animated? Um, mostly because I feel like I actually don't look like the iconic uh, cowboy poet that I want Dalton Wilcox to look like. He I, looks
0: more like a kind of. Uh, I've lost the name of the actor. Sam, Sam Elliott. Elliot. Yeah. Sam exactly. Elliott. Yeah, <laughs> right. okay. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sam Elliott is the iconic cowboy. Of course, cowboy. it's Sam Elliott. And, yeah. and I think Dalton Wilcox wants to look a little more like that. But
0: and it's important that you play him. You I can't think write so. Him yeah. For Sam I.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't think I could. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's an interesting concept. Uh, but no, I'd want to play him. Uh, and I think it just might be more fun. I've done uh, some animated shows that work like the, the cast for each individual scene is in the room together recording at the same time. And then once you've got the script, you improvise and you have uh, a lot of fun with it. And that feels to me like the right way to do a show like this. Okay. You know, It's sort of like the way we do the podcast pilot project. I mean, yes. I'd want to bring that. I'd want to recapture that for an animated show.
0: Is it... Do you think that now the world of podcasting, kind of post-comedy bang-bang and the pilot project, which I should say, I, I kind of worked out recently, the um, uh, the premise of that is it's a pilot for a podcast. Yes, <laughs> which is, each, which is, each episode is a pilot. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, you know, given how easy it is to podcast, there's a lot of junk But um, uh, is there money for, is there kind of interest for making things that are based on podcasts? Or do people, do producers go... Oh, that's a that's a podcast. That that is its own
1: platform. Um, I think there ought to be interest in it. But the fascinating thing to me about podcasts, I would never have guessed ten years ago that there would be this much audience for podcasts. You know that there would be people who, so many people who have enough time in their week to listen to this much content. Uh, I don't know what those people were doing previously uh, <laughs> yeah. on their commutes or at their yeah, jobs that don't require all their attention. I listen
0: to a lot of podcasts, and I, I do. What, what have I lost? What have I sacrificed to listen to this many podcasts? I'll oh, bet you music
1: not much. Maybe yeah, music. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe news.
0: Exactly. <laughs> audio books. What am I? there must be a cost yeah. somewhere.
1: But there's so much out there in podcasting that I think it, it's it's very fractured. The audience must be very fractured. So I think, you know, if you're, so for instance, comedy, bang, bang had a television show. And I think they knew going in, like we're going to make a very inexpensive television show for a very niche audience, you know? Um, so I think, but I, I feel like that was a great television show because it took all of the wonderful elements of the podcast and put them on screen in a very colourful and fun and crazy way. So I feel like that should absolutely happen more and more, but probably in that same spirit of like, the, there there's a niche that likes this. Let's programme to that niche and it's going to have to be cheap.
0: That's all. <laughs> so, so is there, and you may have uh, heard me ask, if you've heard this, this show before, you might have heard me ask a version of this question to other people. Mm. Are there any... Like, what are the, what are the, are, are there any elements of your creative life that are problematic? That are, because I often find, with stand-up comedians, I can go, are you happy? And they'll uh-huh. say, no, I'm not happy. Because <laughs> yeah. I sit in a room trying to come up with ideas, or I, I'm on the road and I'm trying to sort of see the world and, you know, get to grips with it in a, in a certain way. I think when I talk to improvisers, mm. I feel like I say, are you happy? And they go, yeah. Yeah. I'm just playing this great game all the time. Yeah. Are, are there any harder aspects? Are there any psychologically uh,
1: more painful aspects of any part of the process? For you? Oh, God. I mean, of course, it's, it's, there's, it's such a complicated business. But I've been saying for the longest time, like since the mid-90s, I have been saying... Creatively, I am fulfilled like because I can get on stage and do an improvised show and it's always going to be fun. And sometimes it's going to be great. And I can also get on stage. I can write a, a character bit just entirely for myself. And there will always be a place to get up on stage and do it. So from a creative point of view, just knowing that there's an outlet and a skill set that match up well and that I enjoy doing it. Like, I don't need more than that, really. I'm not a person who has a creative drive to be involved in making films, which is hard, <laughs> or, or, or even making television. I don't have a creative need to do that. I have a monetary need to do that. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, of course, like... There, there's professional jealousy and there's competitiveness and there's a feeling of like, oh, I haven't been out there enough and people are forgetting me and, and how am I perceived? Maybe I'm not perceived the way I want to be perceived. There's all those kinds of large, looming, annoying questions. But from a, from a creative fulfillment point of view, I think I've been creatively fulfilled for, ever since… I found the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York and that stage, which is so accepting of any kind of crazy crap. And, and it now there's one in L.A. and there's multiple spaces in L.A. that just you can walk into and do something that is completely just to satisfy yourself and an audience, you will find an appreciative audience. Like, that's, that's all I really need, you know. How do you want to be perceived? Um, how do I want to be perceived... Uh, that's a tough one, <laughs> because I I feel like there's, uh, I, I I I guess I want to be perceived as a uh, so this is that point that you're talking about. Where like somebody <laughs> yeah, sure. goes now I'm now I'm sounding pretentious, but yeah, as a comedy artist, as somebody like Andy Kaufman, who you look at and you say, oh, he's doing something uh, new and different and unique that nobody else would be able to do. Uh, and it is an an expression of himself for himself, and we get to join along. You know, we get to jump along for the ride. Uh, I think that's how I'd like to be perceived, as fearless. And what would it fulfill in
0: you to be perceived like that? Why? Um,
1: hmm. I don't know. I would just feel feel good about myself <laughs> it's all right well, why, why is
0: that why would you feel good about yourself if people think you are fearless uh
1: why not because the the, the alternative is to be somebody who's out there um exp- trying to be commercial and trying to pander right i mean that feels like the other end of the coin the other side of that coin is just like somebody who's who's like just wants to be commercially successful. Uh, I, I would love an audience to feel like, well, this guy clearly has no interest in that. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Is
0: there a, this may not be true of improvisers, mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably true of a lot of uh, straight stand-ups. Is there, and I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't dream of asking you to name this person, mm-hmm. but is there perhaps a person who you fear that you're a bit like, or you fear that you're perceived to be like, that you wouldn't want to be perceived to be like?
1: Oh, that's funny. Is there a particular person? Not really, but, but, but there is, there is a vision of, of myself that I see because I, I, it's always a balancing act between a desire to please the audience and a desire to please yourself. And the question of how far you will go to, to sort of to feel like you're pleasing the audience with, and the fear that you'll you'll lose what's kind of hot and interesting for yourself, and so I can't particularly think of somebody else who uh, I think has gone too far in that direction. Because God knows there's plenty, but you only I think you only know it for yourself, right? You only know for yourself if I've gone too far to make it make an audience happy, and I've lost what I myself. Came here to do because it
0: strikes me that there are if if Andy Kaufman is so important to you yeah. there are there are maybe like would he have done uh, some of the commercially successful things that you've done?
1: Um, right, probably not. I mean, he was in a movie called Heartbeeps, <laughs> <laughs> was he? I'm not aware yeah. of that. But yeah, that was, that was bad. But and also, I think for him, I think Taxi was a weird one for him, uh, and I think he probably felt. Um, I think he probably was very conflicted about Taxi. Even though he was doing his own character that he created on that show, I, I think it, it tortured him a little bit to be doing something that successful. And then you saw his response to it, which was he turned himself into a pariah. You know, like he took the fame of that and, and turned it dark, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I think he was, he was a soul in conflict you don't strike me as a soul in conflict. No, no, partly because I have a family, you know what I mean? And so, so for me, like, um, yeah, I, I do want to do commercially. I, I mean, I want to do commercially successful things. I want to make a living in this business, but for my own creative life, when it's something that it's clear that like I am making this, that to me wants to feel like it's, it's coming from a place of like, um, uh, fearless self satisfaction as an, as an artist you know so I yeah I want to be doing both things as someone who
0: is embarking myself I'm now a year and a half into that uh, tightrope act of I now have mouths to feed yeah and I want to be creatively uh, I want to be true to myself artistically and I'm also like oh there's I was talking to a a, a brilliant actor I highly recommend you see Colin Holt um, at this festival he's an excellent improviser does a uh a character called Anna Mann and uh-huh. his show this year is uh, how we how we stop the fascists mm. but she's like a sort of aging the character is a, yeah. a sort of aging uh, uh, theatrical performer uh-huh. with a string of meaningless kind uh-huh. of credits to, to uh-huh. her no, <laughs> I think you'd really enjoy it mm. um, but I was saying to him recently, you know, how are you? How are you coping with the demands of being a dad in comedy? He's has a young family as well, and he was saying, "Oh, I've absolutely gone insane worrying about not yes. make enough money." Yeah. Does that yeah. <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> the fact that you're nodding is like, yeah, you do, you yeah. do, you go insane. Is there a solution to that? Yeah. Is there some?
1: Oh. Is there, I
0: mean, what do you, you know? No. <laughs> for anyone listening to this who is being... And I, I remember when before I had a family, mm. I before I had my own child, I remember uh, seeing other comics who had started or were starting like, mm. oh, I've got, I've got a young kid, but I really want to be a comedian. I'm starting. And I was like, you're insane. Yeah. I'm so impressed. Right, and, right, right. And scared.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only saving grace for me has been that my wife is very... Calm and confident, uh, and so we constantly have conversations where her role is to say, Yes, you always say that, and it always turns out fine.
0: My, my own wife will listen to this at one point <laughs> and will be laughing away at that
1: the similarities in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was interviewed once by Greg Fitzsimmons. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's a very funny podcast. and he, he was just like, you've got kids, honey, you're an actor. So that's it. You lay your head down on the pillow every night and go, I got to, as an actor in show business, feed these mouths and make this work. It's like, yeah. But his point of view was like, I mean, I at least... I have relationships at clubs around the country I can tour and I can get paid. But it was kind of like, well, I, as an actor, have relationships in town that I, you know, people know of me. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. It's complicated to have, to take that on response, to actual financial responsibilities in this crazy business where, yeah, you, you have to constantly your seat at the table all the time, you know? Do your childhood
0: friends or college friends consider you a success? Or do you think you are considered a success in their terms?
1: Um, I suspect probably so because I... I it's an odd thing. Like, I, I pop up on television a lot in in the States, and, you know, and I think people have an inflated sense of what you get paid when you're <laughs> 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 on the
0: television screen. <laughs> good answer.
1: <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And
0: do you have to do you have to uh, audition for roles anymore or do people go, Andy Daniel will be good at this?
1: So it's a mix of it's a mix of things, yeah. Sometimes uh I often get I, I, I'm more, often, more likely to be offered things these days but yeah I recently had an audition for a small role in a Clint Eastwood movie mm-hmm. I get it but that was a, a recent audition yeah. Okay, so something like that comes along And do
0: you, have, do you still get nervous before those kind of auditions um, or do you feel like I'm here doing what I do like you can't get it I can't get it wrong because it's me doing it so it'll, I'll just give them what I do
1: um it depends if it if it does feel like something where I know what to do with this, then I feel fine, but then there are other times I go into auditions going I got a
0: bad feeling about this one <laughs> and what what is it What sort of circumstances create that bad feeling
1: uh i just i i don't know what to do with the character i don't know it doesn't feel right, you know but but I <laughs> But can't... you want the money in there <laughs> yeah, but but also not only that but um Eastbound and Down was probably the show that mm. that did the most for me early on and when I got the script to audition for that I said well they're not going to hire me like I, I but I but it, it, I knew what I would do with the audition but I really did not see myself getting hired for it Why so that's not? a little Why different not? because the character was a triathlete and And he was somebody who the main character was going to look at and feel jealous of. And so I had this image in my mind of like somebody who was really fit and just like super classically handsome who was just going to, you know, that Kenny Powers was going to walk in and look at him like this Adonis and just go, Oh, of course he took my love away from me. I'll never, I'll never get her from that guy. Uh, so I don't, and I don't know why they hired me, but I, Uh, And when I said to them, I was like, because there's a scene where I had to appear in a speedo at at the beginning of a triathlon, and I was nervous about that for a number of reasons, but I said to the guys, uh, uh, Danny McBride and Jody Hill, I was like, you guys know, like, um, you know, like, I'm not really in shape (laughs) or anything like that. I'm not like, I don't look like a triathlete. They were like, yeah, I think your character is a triathlete in his own mind. I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. I ah, didn't pick that's... that up from the script. Okay. You know that in their mind he is he talks a good game, but he's a he's a failed athlete. Yes. <laughs> presumably for you, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That opens
0: the door. Then that's the game of the character. Yes. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: To wrap up, hmm. before we wrap up, um, just to come back to this. The, if I dare delve into the conversation you have with your wife, the, the kind of, yeah. like, we've had this conversation before uh-huh. that strikes me as that might be an interesting way to find out what, what sorts of things routine, what sorts of things make your wife roll her eyes when she's like, Oh, this again.
1: Oh man. Oh, I mean, I'm constantly just like, oh, it's another pilot season. I don't know if you know what pilot season is. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get anything. I'm not going to, then what are we going to do? And then, and because I'm always looking ahead. I have this terrible habit of like, well, uh, we recently put the dog down, <laughs> but when I would, oh. I would, yeah, terrible, but I would take, the, yeah, awful, awful. I would take the dog for walks and that would be my time to like look forward. And ruminate on like, well, so if by this point I don't sell that idea, then I'm not going to have this and I'm, well, we'll have wasted all that time and then those auditions will come along and I won't be available to do that. And then that and, that, and it's just sort of like I'm making predictions and I will even sometimes I will sit down and I will type out my predictions which are always dire predictions which when I go back and read them later are always wrong. <laughs>
0: this is that's like a reverse affirmation. It's a reverse affirmation. It's a, like reverse a affirmation. Reverse version of a yes. kind of cosmic ordering or whatever it's called, you know, you write down your list of goals yes. and then you come back to them a few years later and you realize oh, "I achieved all my goals." You're doing I like do like the that exact awful opposite. I do the
1: exact opposite. I constantly sit down and go, "I know what's going to happen. I'm going to do this." And then that's not going to happen and then that's not going to happen. And then This, 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 I get, I predict out a dark scenario all the time. And then and when I share it with my wife, she just she knows that my record of predicting things is terrible and that it's always pessimistic. That is almost a sitcom pitch in itself. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse affirmation right. guy <laughs> right. The secret? way. remember that thing? The yeah, secret? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the opposite of the, the secret. Dark secret. <laughs> yes. And it works for me. I put out into the world the darkest possible vision of what's going to happen, and it doesn't come true. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question.
0: Hmm. What would uh, you have engraved on your comedy gravestone?
1: Oh, crap. Did you ask this in every episode? I've, once or twice. Oh, yeah, man. What would I want engraved on my comedy gravestone? Well, now, now that we're in this sort of realm, I would want to say he put his kids through college. <laughs> 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 that would be nice.
0: So that was Andy Daly. Thank you so much to Andy for coming on the show. Uh, thanks to you for listening and sharing the show with your friends and giving me lovely, favorable reviews on iTunes, especially if you're not in the UK. And, uh, and thanks also uh, to the Place Hotel on York Place in Edinburgh. Have a little look at their website. It's very, very nice. Very, very uh, 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 posh isn't the word, classy. you can tell how non posh and non-classy I am because I use words like that Um, that's everything I'm wheezing don't worry about my health I think I've probably I can't be getting a chest infection this early in the goddamn festival it's probably allergies I think we've got quite a dusty room here but um, as the Boutros and uh, the Misses are uh, away in Glasgow for a couple of days to let me get uh, embedded in the festival and let me get the show up on its legs um, I am wheezing i don 't know why I mentioned them <laughs> falling apart i 'm so tired he hasn 't been sleeping so well and uh, now i i 'm going to go to bed, but this being the night before my show i 'm going to go to bed and get a sweet ten hour sleep uh, via the use of some melatonin so uh, <laughs> uh, hooray for me i 'm going to chip off now and do that, but first i will uh, i 'll have a little postamble at you. Jesus, this was a rambler. Shall I redo it? No, I'm too tired. And I've got to work out the intro music for the show tomorrow. So with this, we will all have to settle. Oh, I meant to say uh, we talked about it on on the podcast. But if you haven't, if you've seen uh, Grizzly Man, the Werner Herzog film, do yourself a favour and search for Andy Daly, Werner Herzog, Grizzly Man on YouTube. And you will cry laughing at the conversation he has with Paul F. Tompkins and some other very funny people as well. Speak to you soon. So all I wanted to say, I can't believe I took the couscous. (laughs) You terrible couscous taker. Um, All I wanted to say was I did a very fun gig here today in Edinburgh and it taught me something uh, about comedy. This was a joy. (laughs) I suppose I'm being slightly tongue in cheek about this, but I also slightly mean it. I did a show... God, that was an awful wheeze! I could ask Daryl to cut the wheezes out, but no, we're going to have to live with me and my wheezing. Um, I've got an inhaler somewhere, and I've got some antihistamine. I'm sure I'll be fine. You don't need... This isn't Jesus Christ. I'm not 90. Sorry. Right. (laughs) Nor am I disparaging 90-year-olds who would quite justifiably talk about wheezing. Um... I did a show, I did a a ten minute spot at a gig, which I believe is called Classic Joke Club, run by Mr. Ben van der Velde. It's the second year of this, and I'm so pleased that uh, Ben has done this. It's just comedians telling their favourite old jokes, because I was going to do that, and now I don't have to bother. I can just turn up and play at his gig. Um, I did ten minutes of some of my favourites, the beekeeper's joke, uh, the little boy in the welding mask, the black cow and the white cow. All of these jokes you will probably have heard if you've uh, popped into Redacted at any time. But, um, you know, not all of you have. But uh, I did those jokes, and I did a really fun 10 minutes of pub jokes. That's what the premise is of the show. And here's what happened. Some of them went well. Some of them didn't. I think I performed them all well. I mean, if anything, I probably didn't contextualise them well, because I love an anti-joke. And I probably did sort of four or five anti-jokes one after another. But... The fact remains, not everyone liked these perfect jokes. And because I've never done anyone else's jokes before, it it completely removed the... uh, In a a proper, you know, proper paying, performative environment, um, it completely removed my concern that the material might be to blame when a punchline didn't land. You know, I've always do my own stuff, and if you tell a joke and, you know, the audience are a bit limp the reaction's a bit limp then you think oh god well maybe even if you've done that joke brilliantly a hundred times you think oh god maybe that joke does have flaws maybe it is weak (laughs) maybe I'm terrible Um, it's easy to sort of fall down that rabbit hole but here was I doing jokes that I believe in my heart of hearts to be as close to perfect as a joke can be and, uh, and some of them didn't really land. The audience were a bit like, oh, yeah, welding mask joke. <laughs> I was like, no, you're wrong. It was very fun telling them they were wrong. So what I learned a pathetic 12 years into my career is that sometimes the audience are wrong. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Speak to you next week.